0: Bible reading this morning is um, taken from Titus chapter 2, reading verses 11 to 15. Titus chapter 2, reading verses 11 to 15. 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation had appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, had gave, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Verse 15, These things speak And exalt and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. I would like to call upon a guy.
1: If you don't mind, let's join me this morning in the book of First Thessalonians, chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. One Thessalonica four. I really am privilege to be able to fill in for pastor while he is out and i really enjoyed brother eric's message last week on compassion and bringing some so so many truths together and then to see i gotta admit this i gotta say i was blessed by all the feedback that was coming from brother eric's message last week where you see god working in your life this morning i want to touch on a topic that I, i have to confess for us older guys so i'm talking about me and eric and joe we guys that go back to where you grew up in independent fundamental Baptist churches. And if we go back to the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of talk back then about the return of the Lord. It was a buzz topic. And it is a good topic. But what happened in the late 80s and the early 90s was even fundamental pastors who were Bible-believing men began pressing too much on setting a date for the return of Jesus. Now, that error had been done all through church history. It was really bad in the late 1800s. And you're like, 1800s? Oh, yeah, they thought new technology like a light bulb was a, was a portent of the return of Jesus. Like, oh, look at the genius things that we've invented. They invented a light bulb, right? And, but as it rolled through the 80s and the 90s, pastors just kept, I think we called it the echo chamber, feeding on each other. And one blamed Story old Sam, and another blamed Story old Sam, and muscle same and I muscle same. And pretty soon they were like, now I'm not setting a date, but. And then they would say, but it looks like Jesus will return here, and it'll return here. And here's the problem when you set a date you set a date and it doesn't happen, you're discouraged. And if you're a leader, the people who follow you are discouraged. And so here's how they would try to get around that. Well, I didn't say it was that date. Well, that's what Mary Baker Eddy said, and that's what all these people in past history said. Well, I didn't really set a date. But I'm going to tell you, I watched preaching on the rapture and the second coming disappear. We believe it. We would talk about it, but nobody would preach it. Why? Because nobody wanted to be branded with these guys that marked it. I'll tell you when the big date was, Y2K. And all you young guys, you may not even know what Y2K is, year 2000. We were like, there's going to be this giant reset. All computers will fail. The whole world will go into darkness. That has to be the tribulation. Jesus has to come before Y2K. And Y2K rolled right by. No computers quit. Nothing happened. There was one preacher that used to come to our church in the States. We never had him back after that. Because he was so much about Y2K. Everything was going to change. And he was pulling Bible verses out of context. And when it didn't change, my pastor was like, not having him back. Good man. Good brother. Godly man. But here's the point. We just got tired of hearing about the return of Christ, and it didn't happen. So today I want to press a reset button for us, because I've been challenged in the last year that even in my own preaching, and especially as now as director of a Bible college, I think it is very important that we understand that, but we understand it in its context, and that is the return of Christ is the most prophesied thing in the Old Testament. His first coming is massively prophesied, and it happened. It happened. And it happened clearly, and we go through so many things throughout the calendar year speaking of the first coming of Christ as it was foretold by Isaiah, as it was foretold all the way to Genesis. We have all these fulfilled prophecies of the first coming of Jesus. He came the first time. But I'm here to tell you there are more prophecies about the second coming. And the thing is, it hasn't happened yet. Now, here's the difficulty with prophecy it's past or future. Prophecy, past or future, in the case of the second coming? It's future. Now, there are people that think the second coming already happened, and I think they just need to go drink another cup of coffee. If this is the kingdom, we're in trouble. No, the second coming of Jesus has not happened yet. It has not happened. Now, you're like, well, what do you mean about that? Well, let me throw little nuggets out that you probably have heard, because we have so many new people in here, new converts. Some of you haven't even come to faith yet. You're just learning. Remember when we had the coronavirus? Remember how the, the government was like, you must kiss him suit banisna, and by protecting you. And then you had this whole bunch of street preachers around the nation who said, Hey, no can kiss him. And mark blush and him, 666, or by shooting handle you. Huh? They did it. They were like, it's 666. You don't know what they're putting in you. They're not putting this in. I remember the people could stick a 20 toy in, it would stick to their arm. And they were like, it's like a magnet. And can kind belief, yeah. Well, that 666 is part of the prophetic picture of the second coming of Christ. And that's the topic for another day. But you heard about 666 and you're afraid of that. It's the mark of the devil and all those things. All those things are prophetic things. Some of them come from Revelation, but I'm here to tell you, a lot of it comes from the Old Testament. Daniel, Zephaniah. Hey, even your favorite book, Psalms, is filled with with markers of Jesus in his second coming. When he comes the second time, he will come to rule and to reign. And you're like, well, will it be like figuratively? Will it be spiritually, like some denominations teach? Hear me. This book says literal. This book says throne. Put him seat blown in, he go chair blown in, sit down, boss him. We'll get us something, bliss like around. He is coming to rule and to reign. And there's just too much in scripture that says, says that 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 is going to happen. And you're like, yeah, but I don't know. And here's why we don't know. It hasn't happened yet. We know the first coming happened. Born of a virgin, raised in Nazareth, right? So many things all the way through, even his crucifixion and resurrection prophesied, and we see that, and we're like, yeah, it happened. But here's the thing about the second coming. None of it has happened. And it's all prophecy. So some parts of it are subject to how will that happen? that doesn't take away from the truth of it. The truth of it remains. Details are yet to be revealed. But what I want to bring us to today is there is an event in God's future calendar that precedes the second coming. And when I say the second coming, I include the great tribulation period that you've probably watched movies about it. It's like the whole world falls apart. Hear me, it literally does. But even before that event, we're going to look at something this morning that's described in Titus as the blessed hope. And in 1 Thessalonians, and we'll touch later in 1 Corinthians, it gives details of how it happened, and it is so clear there's no interpretation to it. It literally says what it literally says. Now here, can I help you with this? When you read your Bible, read it for what it says. Now get this. Yeah, but Papa John, when I'm in Revelation, there's these horses, horse heads on scorpions and tails and long-haired and all that. And guess what you do? You believe that's what it is, and the old man John back then is like, Jesus said, write. He's like, I write. That's the weirdest animal I've ever seen. Head looks like, oh, that's a horse. That's a lion. And that's a scorpion's tail? And he's writing what he sees, but what we're looking at this morning in this passage in First Thessalonians, there's nothing like where you go. I wonder what that means. It's really clear. First Thessalonians, Thessalonica is an interesting church. Pastor has taught us about that before, but to remind some of us, Paul spent you get this. here's how long Paul spent there, and, and the church began in that city. Three weeks. He started a church in three weeks and then was driven out of the city because of an uprising in the city and hasn't been able to go back. But in that three weeks, he actually taught them what we're going to look at this morning. Man, that is a pretty amazing thing. I, I've worked at church planting and things like that, and I'm like, how did you do this? It doesn't matter how he did it. God gives it to us recorded in his word. His word is inspired from God, so we believe it for what it says. We're trusting that God, the communicating God, wants to speak to us. 1 Thessalonians, in the first chapter, he mentions about the waiting for his son from heaven. In the second chapter, he talks about the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, his presence, not his spiritual, well, let's pretend he's just a floating kind of angel, disappearing spirit thing. No, no. In his presence at his coming. In the third chapter, it talks about how we should be holy and at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then it adds this, he comes with all his saints. Yep. And you're like, oh, St. Mary and St. Joseph and St. Francis and St.... Saint... No, no, here's the biblical thing about saints. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are a saint. Yes,
0: sir.
1: And you're like, yes. Pops, do you know my life? I am not a saint. And here's what I say, the blood of Jesus Christ yep. cleanses you from all sin. Amen. And if you're a believer, Christ is working in you to transform you and to make you holy and to make you pure. And it doesn't matter what you think. He calls you a saint. So if we're saints, then this, this thing that Paul's talking about says that he's coming with all his saints. So this aspect of his return has us involved. And in skipping chapter four to go to chapter five, he prays that we will be preserved blameless until he comes. It's, it's fascinating. That's the theme of this book. But in the midst of the theme, he brings out a topic. And we refer to this topic as the rapture of the church. Now, people are like, uh, rapture isn't uh, in the Bible. You don't see the word rapture in there. Well, there's a lot of words that we use. I've never seen piano or accordion or guitar or anything like that in there. But rapture is in there in its principle and in its explanation. The term isn't, is not used until later. But what it talks about, to give you the shortcut before we get into the message, there is a time coming way before the second coming of Jesus to this earth where he is going to come and take his church out. And after that time, could be immediately, could be soon after, the greatest tribulation this world has ever seen, according to God in scripture, begins. And during that period of judgment, God is also calling out people and his target is the nation of Israel. Because of their rejection of Jesus, he's worked to reach them. And even today, we Christians have a burden for our brothers and sisters who are Jewish, whether they're in Israel or someplace else in the world. And we have a burden for them to come to know their own Messiah because they're blinded. Romans tells us they're blinded. They don't see it. But one day, it shows that during this time of, they call it the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's other name is what? Israel. The time of their trouble, their eyes are opened. And they realize Jesus is their Messiah, and they turn to him. But during that time, Revelation has these pictures of horrible events happening to our world that that make present-day events and past events look like something simple. But what about this blessed hope? that we have. Paul looked at it like he looked at the second coming in this respect. It was, and here we go with the big words for all of our Bible college students, imminent. Imminent. We tell our Bible college students, if you pay the big money, you learn the big words. Imminent is a big word means it can happen any time, any time. Paul believed it was close in his day. Now we're a couple thousand years later. You're like, see, it didn't happen. Well, actually it will we're just that much closer. But in believing that it can happen in there, I like how Titus put it. It's the blessed hope, and he calls it the glorious appearing. And we like, have you ever seen the sun do this through a cloud in those pictures? Have you ever seen that? Like, it always catches my eye. And it's a strange thing that the sun rays can do that. But every time I, I do that, I just think of the beauty of the Lord, but it catches, that's glorious. And and the coming of Christ is going to beat that a thousand times over. But what does this rapture about? You're like, oh, Pops, I don't need to listen to you. I can go on YouTube and listen to all these guys talk about the rapture. Well, maybe you can, but I'm not sure how many of them will be biblical. And I want to be biblical with us because I want your faith to be founded not in a YouTube preacher or, or some denominational idea. I want your faith to be in the scriptures. So come with me to verse 13 as Paul begins his his uh, commentary here on this rapture. He refers to this blessed hope as hope for the saved. Verse 13, I would not have you, church, to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. The question had come to Paul. Paul, we thought Jesus was coming like when you were here, and he didn't, and we thought he was coming, but we've had a problem. Several of our members have passed away. What does that do with Jesus coming? They've already died. And this is how Paul begins and ends this section, trying to give them hope and comfort. The return of Jesus in the rapture for his church is a hope for the believers. Verse 13 says, you've been asking me about those which are asleep. Now, asleep all through this passage refers to believers who have died. Hear me, not unbelievers who have died. Never in the Bible is the death of an unbeliever referred to as sleep. Why? Because sleep is taking rest. How many times do you see it? Social media, somebody passes away, and we feel for them, and we always put R-I-E-P, R-I-E-P. That's good if that person's a believer, but if they're not a believer, there is no eternal peace. There is no eternal peace. Why? Because peace is found in a person, and that person is Jesus, not in my church. Capital City Baptist Church cannot give you peace. It's impossible. But Christ can give you peace. And the scriptures can give you comfort. And we have to learn to put our faith in what God says and not what we think about it. This idea of sleeping, he talks about it in verse 14. He calls it those who sleep in Jesus. In verse 15, he contrasts it with those who are alive. He said, we which are alive and remain will not prevent or stop those which are asleep well you can tell right there there's the contrast we alive they're asleep in verse 16 he refers to him as the dead in christ in christ key phrase if any man be in christ what is he a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new being in christ whether you're dead or you are alive you are secure and you are safe and we use the term saved so the dead in Christ, and then he talks again in verse seventeen about we and alive. So this rapture affects those who have already passed away and those who are alive. Now, can I can I just blow your mind for a minute? This affects dead people from the time of Jesus till the time of, till right now. It affects every nation on the face of the earth where there have been believers. hapo planim di body pinis in Christ. Those believers come up at this time. It is incredible to comprehend this. But I'm going to blow your mind a little bit more later because there's something else about this. They are sleeping in Christ. You remember Jesus came to Lazarus' tomb? When Jesus came to Lazarus' tomb, uh, John chapter 11 said it this way. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. They think he's just sick. And it says, "Howbeit Jesus spake of his... Death, but they thought he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then said Jesus plainly, "Lazarus is dead." When Jesus came, he's dead. But Jesus calls it sleep. Why? Because if you're asleep, most likely you're going to wake up. Now, hopefully, you make it through this message. I can wake you up somewhere. Not a message. But in in thinking about this, what is this thing about sleep and death? There's a denominational teaching. Many denominations teach us that you have soul sleep that when you die, you sleep in the ground, and at the resurrection, you come up, and it's just not biblical. You're like, but, but Pops, it says it right here. Well, no, actually, it doesn't. Paul clarifies it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. You and I quote verse 7 a lot. We walk by faith and not by sight, but do you know what 6 and 8 say? Therefore, Paul says, we are always confident. I love that not half the time confident, not sometimes always confident, knowing that if while we are home in the body, we are absent from whom? The Lord. When I'm here, am I in heaven physically? When I'm here, am I in heaven? No, I'm not. I'm here. So when I'm at home in this body, I'm absent from the Lord. Then he says that famous phrase, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Then he says, we are confident, and this is, again, that always confidence. We are confident, I say, and get this, willing, rather, I would rather do this. Be absent from the body and what? Present with the Lord. I hope I don't die because I have a lot of stuff to do the rest of the day and the rest of this week. But if I was to drop dead right now, I would not be sleeping in this body or hovering around watching to see what you are doing. To be absent from this body, what does that verse say I am? present with the Lord. Last breath here, next breath there. There's no soul sleep. You're like, well, what's, what, what is he talking about? The dead in Christ rising first. I'm going to come to that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful how clear he makes it, but there is no soul sleep. And can I add this to you? Because the word does not exist in your Bible. There's no purgatory, clean fire, no God. It's not there. It's a, a, a something created by denominational people to keep us in bondage. Hear me. When, when your brother's sister's mom, dad, in Christ, they've trusted Jesus, you know where the mat-mat is. You, sometimes you go there and you think about them. They are not there. Their body is there. And if they have been there for 100 years, they may be nothing but dust. But know this. They are not here. They are there. Because absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. So this is how Paul begins it, but Paul is taking it a step further to encourage the people who are alive, because the people that are dead have already seen it. Faith has become sight for them. It's beautiful. Come down to verse 14. Hope for the saved. It's because there's hope from the scriptures. This isn't something we're making up I'm not reading from a denominational handbook or the writings of some pseudo-prophet from the last 200 years. We're reading what the Apostle Paul said. I love how this starts, 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, not by the word of Paul or the word of Papa John, this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This is God's word. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go first before them which are asleep. So those who are alive are not going to ascend to heaven ahead of the people who have passed away first. Now, before we touch anything else, verse 14 is key. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is for believers in the gospel. This is not for somebody who attends church or somebody who has their own ideas that they got from some great YouTube preacher. This is from people who believe in the gospel. And the gospel is Christ. Romans 1.16, pastor just preached this at Pensacola. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that joins Capital City Baptist Church. No, to everyone that believeth. You need, if you're not a believer, that you need this. You need the power of God to transform you from death to life. You need that. Christ came not to die for you so you could go live in a mansion on a golden street in heaven. He came to reconcile you to God. Making one bill pass and he come up again. una God. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he rose again the third day. Yes, according to the scriptures. But Romans, as pastor has just been teaching us through, it is to reconcile us to God, not give us nice houses in heaven. The nice house in heaven is a side product. This is what he's saying here. If we believe Jesus died and rose again, we've believed in faith, then the second thing in verse 15 down Is it's based it's it's for believers in the gospel, but it's based on God's word. Now, as we've gone through Romans, Paul makes one quote after another from the Old Testament. Paul was brilliant in the Old Testament before his conversion. He knew the scriptures before he believed in Christ. And then he was able to use that knowledge. But get this, Paul, in his very common usage of Old Testament passages, does not use any of them in this section of Thessalonians? None. Because the rapture was unknown in the Old Testament. In fact, the church was unknown in the Old Testament. You're like, wait a minute, that's the hugest thing on God's calendar. It's the hugest thing that we see in the, in the scripture is the church. Yeah, the Old Testament guys didn't see that. Oh, they saw the Gentiles coming to faith. They saw the Jews coming to faith. But both of those things are referred to in the New Testament as mysteries. And mystery just means something somebody didn't know. And it isn't that you and I don't know it. It's that the Old Testament saints didn't know that. But based on God's word, this thing of the old, the rapture in the Old Testament, you, 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 you can't see it there. But you know what we do see? I mentioned it before. The second coming. The second coming. Daniel talks about it. I mean, we're talking about glorious pictures. Psalms several times talks about it. Uh, Zephaniah, Zechariah. Malachi, They speak clearly of the second coming and how he comes and what he looks like. And then you come to the New Testament and God reveals it to John. That's why we call the book Revelation. He reveals it to John. And John gives a lot of details. When you get to chapter 19, you got white horses and Jesus and he's got the word of, I mean, just all the word of God written on his thighs. and He's king of kings and Lord of lords. And he comes and you see that and you're, you're like, is that true? Every single bit of it. Is literal and true, just as literal and true as Jesus being born in Bethlehem and Jesus being born of a virgin and Jesus being raised in Nazareth. All of those prophecies of the first coming, you have more prophecies of the second coming that are just as clear. We have to embrace those. But get this the rapture is before that, and there's nothing telling us it's going to happen, and there's nothing like we would say a signpost. To tell you how close it is. Brackstone recently went to the US and he learned that America is big on big signs. You drive on a highway in America, nobody steals those signs. They are the size of this room. They're just like huge. You're driving down the highway, and it tells you how far you have to go to the next city on that highway. And you look at it and you know, this Listlo Road and first time when we come listalo road. But these signboards are out there to let you know how far it is. Well, here's the thing: there's no signboard in, in the scripture that says rapture but there are a lot of signboards that say second coming. And as you begin to see things start to come together for that, you realize that the rapture is even closer. It's even nearer. 1 Corinthians, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, the Thessalonians. Paul speaks of it here, and he speaks of it in the same very clear terminology. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. For those of you that read your Bible and are growing in faith, 1 Corinthians has some significant chapters. 13, 1 Corinthians 13 is, we call that the love chapter. Speaks about charity being everything, and it's beautiful. Chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter. You want to grasp the gospel at the beginning and then all of the pictures that Paul paints of what is resurrection like, that's chapter 15. But he ends chapter 15 speaking of this event. Chapter fifteen, verse fifty-one. He's been talking about all these things, and then verse fifty-one, he shifts gears and he goes, "Behold." So when you're reading and you see the word "Behold" anywhere in your Bible, that means stop. You know, do you ever have anybody not paying attention? You're a teacher, you know they're not paying attention. You're like, up here. That's every time you see the word "Behold" in the Bible, that's God going up here. Behold, behold, I show you a mystery okay? That means nobody in the Old Testament saw this, knew this, understood this. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And the the chapter before that is talking about how seeds become flowers. It talks about how how babies become adults. Like when you see a baby, you look at baby Shadrach, someday he's going to look like his boo-boo, Eric. But you don't see that. Like Shad doesn't even have mouse grass. Like, you're like, no beard on on Shadrach. But one day he's going to grow up and he's going to look like, why? Because babies turn into adults. Seeds turn into flowers. And he said, the resurrection is just like that. It is a change. And he said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. But what he's telling us is we don't change into something temporal and mortal. We change into something immortal. Immortal means cannot die. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And then he tells us how. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, yes. at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. That means they can't. Body blow by no stingen. They shall be raised incorruptible, and we, we who are alive, shall be changed. And then he goes on and, and, and talks about verse 53: this mortal must put on incorruption, I'm sorry, corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal has to become immortal. You're like, that sounds like something out of an Avengers movie. Hey, those people are fake. If you're a believer, you're going to get a body that can't get sick, can't get tired, can't be weak, it's going, to be, it's going to be beautiful in God's eyes, not the world's eyes, and the beauty will never fade, and the thing is it will never change. You will be the same for eternity, all good, but the best part is you will worship God with a pure and perfect heart every day of your life from that point on. We shall not sleep, but we shall be changed. There's no, well, I wonder what that really means. He told us, go back to Thessalonians. It mentioned in there something about a trumpet. And so let's, let's come to, because this is based on God's word, God actually has, if we're, this is a mystery, he had a secret plan. But he reveals it very clearly here. We'll pick up in verse 16. How does this work? How does it happen? And again, it's just clear and plain language. This isn't pictorial. It isn't a, an allegory. It's not like, well, it's kind of like, no, it is this. For the Lord himself, verse 16, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain here on the earth shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is literal. It is just as clear as it can be. You're like, that's fantastic. Papa John, I can't say I really believe that. Well, guess, guess what? If you can believe John three sixteen, stretch your mind and say, God, help me to grasp this. Why? Because when we grasp this, Paul referring to it as the blessed hope and the glorious appearing, it is going to strengthen your faith, not in an escapist idea, I mean, like runaway little troubles, me. because if you're just looking to run away from your troubles, you have the wrong idea. I want to see Jesus. Brother Eric texted me this morning that they were singing at their house this morning, we shall behold him. I started crying because those words of that song, we shall behold him, we shall behold him. I will see the king in his beauty. I, I, I'm looking forward to that. It isn't to get rid of the joint pains and the back pains. It isn't to get rid of all the headaches and things of this world. I want to see Jesus. I want to be with him. And man, God, I'm so thankful. When I do, I don't go in this body because this body might get up there and then it'd be jealous. Well, look at him. He got to bring his new shoes up here. He just bought those new Nike shoes and look at, he gets to bring those to heaven. Pfft, that stinks. I'm still wearing my old sandals or my old thongs. No, everything about you changes, believer. Everything. And when that changes and the mortal puts on immortality, the mind changes. You've been working at your sanctification as pastors been teaching us You and I grow. That is the ultimate step. God boots you over the rest of the line and you are completely sanctified. Finish. You strive and you grow here, but when you cross that line with the trumpet sounding, everything changes. You're done. You are done. They take you out of the oven. They take you out of the, your, your scone is finished, bro. You're ready. You're there. This is what we're looking forward to here. Let me walk you through these steps because this excites the it says the descent, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. I love the way he says the Lord himself. Paul writes things sometimes that in your mind if you're a Bible reader you're like, I remember that. What is he talking about? There's a story in the Old Testament, a guy named Naaman. He's not Jewish, he's a Gentile, and he gets leprosy. Leprosy was the HIV of the old testament you got leprosy it would spread quickly you had to be put out this guy is a general the leader of the army of the nation of syria it was a world power they hear that there's help in israel and he actually he goes down there and he goes to the house of the prophet elisha and he wants to ask elisha to come out and pray for him in healing or do something When the guy shows up at his door, you can't imagine a general of the army not showing up with a lot of soldiers. Here they all show up at the door of Elisha. Elisha looks out the window, and he doesn't go out. He sends his servant outside. He said, uh, this guy's here, he wants healing. Go out there and tell him to take a bath in Jordan. Seven times, not just once, seven times. So the servant goes out, and he goes, my master came to tell me to tell you. And you're telling the, the man who leads the most powerful army on earth. So I imagine the servant's going, my boss told me to to, to tell you, go take a bath in Jordan, seventh time. And he gets angry. And he's like, what? He said, that filthy river. I just crossed that river. It's filthy. He goes, the rivers back home in Syria are much cleaner. If all I needed to do was take a bath, I would just take a bath. And he goes, and I thought that this prophet would come out and he would strike from heaven, and lightning would shoot, and he would call out on the leper, and I would be healed. But the key word was, he said, I thought the prophet himself would come. And Elisha never even showed his face. He just sent a servant. Can I tell you this? When Jesus comes for his church, he doesn't look over and around and go, Michael, you do anything this afternoon? Come here, bro. I need you. Yeah. Trumpet, trumpet guy, come with Michael. Hey, Michael, go get my church. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just kind of ready some things here. I'll get the angels to put some things together, and you guys go get them for me. No. He himself. Listen, I'm telling you this is literal. I'm telling you this is what it says. I'm telling you when I embrace this, every time I think about it, I'm like the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. And then it says with a shout. That's his shout. I read this recently, and I was like, I never thought of that. And I walked through it. There are three significant times in the New Testament that Jesus makes a loud noise, a shout. One of them is at the tomb of Lazarus. He goes there to Lazarus. He cries for his brother. He said, move the stone out of the way. But then it says with a loud voice, he cries, Lazarus, come forth. And it says the dead came to life. The next time that it says Jesus cried out with a loud voice, is when he died. He's hanging on the cross, and it says he cried with a loud voice, which is nearly impossible if you're being crucified. But he cried with a loud voice, and he said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. He died. Matthew records that when he did that, the veil in the temple broke, ripped. And then this unbelievable verse that only Matthew wrote, and it says... And many graves in the city were opened. And the bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of those graves after his resurrection. I don't know who they were, but I know some people in Jerusalem were pretty shocked. Because we buried you last week. How are you alive? It said many did. Why? Because he shouted. His shout wakes the dead. Can I say this? Here comes the third time the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I don't know what that shout is. I really don't know. I know that in Revelation chapter four, there's a voice from heaven that says, come up hither. And since we're headed that direction, some of us think that's what it is, but I know this, he's going to shout and the dead in Christ shall rise first. This isn't the hype of some crazy YouTube preacher. I'm reading you scripture. I'm not adding. I, I look at history, what Jesus did, and I look what it says he's going to do. And I'm trusting that and believing that. And if we get to heaven and I was wrong, I will apologize. You can come look at me and say, it was totally not that way, Pops. You really got that one wrong. And I'll go, but you know what I will say? I didn't get it from YouTube. I'll say I read it in the book. God said that, and that's what I'm basing my faith on. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's the only place it comes from. If your faith comes from YouTube or Mary Baker Eddy or Charles Taz Russell or any of those people, your faith is in the wrong thing. Joe Smith does not help us. Matt Allen is our pastor. He can't save you, but I'm telling you, Jesus can. And I'm telling you, if Jesus says, I'm going to do this, He's going to do it. And we as Christians, when we embrace that, you're like, everybody will think I'm crazy. Hey, brother, if you've trusted Jesus, you should be living such a way they already think you're crazy. Yes, sir. You're not the same. Yes, and your craziness, you think it'll reject, repel everybody. Hear me, this is a long, long, yeah. It'll pull a lot of people, why? Amen. Many of us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, when we start sharing our faith and people start pushing us away, when they go through a hard time, they come see you. Brother, my, my wife is really sick. Can you pray for me? Brother, I'm going through a really hard time. Will you pray for me? That same person that laughed at you in front of everybody else, listen, you just stand for Jesus. When this happens, we shall behold him. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Then the voice of the archangel. So maybe Michael's coming behind him. And it says, they <clears throat> my page moved. There we go. And he said, and the uh, trump of God, that trumpet, I asked Brother Eric, I said, can we sing that song? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. This right here, it's a trumpet. The shout of Jesus, the trumpet, it blows. And when it blows, I don't know if it's gonna be long. Did you know the trumpet blew at Mount Sinai when they got the law? Before the law was given to the people, it said the smoke and the fire descended to the top of that mountain. And it says the voice of a trumpet and it waxed louder and louder and longer and longer. And it brought law. And destruction and death. This one gives life to the dead. Transformation complete and final for the believers. Brothers and sisters, hang in there. When that happens, the dead in Christ rise first. Let me connect it with verse 14. Up come the dead. But you know, wait a minute. You said, missionary, the, the dead people are in, there. Well, their bodies are here. But if we go back to verse 14, God gives us the key of how that connects verse 14. If we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring what? Will God bring what? With him. What does that mean to bring somebody with you? You sing out and say, hey, come, come. No. With. Why? They're with him. They died absent from the body, present with the Lord. Key word, absent from the body. Body decays. Here, If the trumpet sounded, the voice sounded, I don't know if we hear it first, but I know this. They're out of the graves. I don't know if the graves need to break. I don't think they really do. Up goes the body, transformed, mortal, immortal. One moment, the soul returns to a brand new, glorified, never-to-die body. And then once that's taken place, up we go. The dead in Christ rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet them with the Lord in the air. Like, brother, this is so fantastic. I just, I just don't know if I can believe it. Can you do me a favor? It's in the same Bible that John 3.16 is. Yes. If you can believe John 3.16, because it's just as clear, believe this for your own sake. Please don't believe it for me. Believe it for your own sake, for your own hope. Because our hope is in Him. And last, I just want to point out where we're going to meet him. In verse 17, it says, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord. I'm sorry, caught up together with these dead who go first to meet the Lord in the air and in the clouds. Now, why does he say clouds? I found that in Acts chapter 1, the day he went to heaven. Yep. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 says, when he had spoken these things, when he said his last words to the disciples on earth, it says while they beheld, while they saw it, he was taken up. Same words that we've got here. Same words. We're caught up. He's taken up. And it says, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now it's going to stop here. You don't have to raise your hand, but do you believe that? Did that happen? See, that's not prophecy. That's history. It happened. Now I want, I want you to embrace this. If you can believe that that happened, I'm asking you open your heart to Christ and say, God, I believe this other one will happen. Because we're going to meet him in the clouds. While they stood, this is the, tw- this is the, the 11, not Judas, while they're there going, Miles Blow, the old son. while they stood, looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, probably angels, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, remember the Lord himself? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come, and then this, in like manner, as he went into heaven. You know, how did he go? He went in a cloud. He's going to come back and meet you in the clouds. Rapture, not second coming. Second coming is a top, whole different topic for a different message. Second coming His feet hit the Mount of Olives to the east side of Jerusalem. Second coming, he judges all of his enemies and those who have rejected God. Second coming, we come backside long end. But this one, come up hither. And up goes every single believer from all of world history, from Papua New Guinea and Japan and China from the house churches in Afghanistan to the churches in America and England and Germany. Martin Luther's body pops up, as does anyone you can think of from church history. Paul and Peter, I don't even know if Paul and Peter, uh, uh, you know, their bodies are together. Paul's head got cut off. Boom, Paul's body and Paul's head come back together. This, This is something that Jesus, I'm sorry, that Paul's telling us by the word of the Lord. It's something he promised, and he said we could go. Do you not love John 14? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said this. Jesus said this the night before his crucifixion. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. If you, like John 14, get 1 Thessalonians 4 and put those together. Because this is the word of the Lord to every believer. Every believer. Not to, not, not, not to just those who walk with Jesus, every backslidden believer. How does, this, how does this play out for us? First of all, if you're a believer, let's go to Titus. I'm going to end with Titus. Titus 2, this was our verse, and I want you to think about this. Titus 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation, I think it's on the screen, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Listen, whether the, 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 the Lord comes to rapture us out tomorrow or 10 years from now or 100 years from now. This is how we live until he comes. We should live soberly, righteously, godly, denying ungodliness, denying worldly lusts. Why? We need to look like our treasure is in heaven. We need to live like our Lord is somebody who is holy and clean. You don't know, can talk to Uncle Mouse believe the Jesus is your Lord. Now body believe and you know, make him kind, kind passing little Monday, you go lo Saturday. Now so Sunday you cut up the bus and you make him old, nice and you come. Me Christian, me Christian. Now behind sparking about and make him kind. Harem. We need to live for Jesus as if this was gonna happen. Because if we say, oh, well if I was dying, I would live for Jesus, because I know I don't have long. You don't know if the trumpet's gonna sound this afternoon. You don't know. You don't know whether die is going to come boom you. Because I've outlived a lot of younger people. But I know this. He's coming. And it's the truth. And I want to live for him so that he will not be disappointed in me. I want to live for Christ to be an example to to the world. I want people to realize that Jesus is more valuable than anything else. And if you're not a believer today, I I have to tell you what 1 John 5 tells us. This is the record. The eternal life is in God's Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You've got to put your belief in Christ. Rapture tomorrow, judgment tomorrow, you need Jesus today. That's what you need. Christian, if you're discouraged and you're like, Man, I just don't know how I can make it in this life. This is how I make it. It could be today. Perhaps today. Perhaps He's coming today. I want to be found faithful. I want to live this day to the full limits I can. My principle of living is this, and I close with this. Knowing that Jesus could come this afternoon or come tomorrow, I am not doing anything different. I've got my work to do, I've got the people that I need to live in such a way that if Jesus comes tomorrow, I I won't look back and say, I wish I'd done this. I try to evaluate my life, and how am I living today? Is it going to make a difference? How I treat my wife, how I treat my friends, how I treat people that cross me, how I treat the guy that cuts me off in the car, or the, the company that won't fix the potholes? How do I treat these people? Why? I don't want to regret that. Christian, the Lord is coming. We have his promise on it. Embrace the promise. You don't know Christ today, and you're here? This morning, I, I as I pray i'm going to give you an opportunity if you would like to trust Christ, I'll open the door. you can come down here sit in the front. Someone will show you from the scriptures how you can know that you're right with god i'm not trying to get you a mansion in heaven that's already done i want to I want to help you come get your relationship with God right let's pray Father you're a good and faithful God. you don't do anything that is not for our best, but we get to look. Sometimes at promises like this, where you've promised to give us an unbelievable blessing of redemption, of being taken out. And rather than using it, Lord, as something to hide from responsibility, like some of the Thessalonians were doing, God, we want to worship you in that. We want to look forward to that. And we want to be like the, 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 the ones who are waiting for the bridegroom to come in Matthew. We want our our lamps to be trimmed and burning. We want to be doing what we can. God, today I pray for my brothers and sisters here who know Jesus without a doubt. Help us to live holy and godly lives. Lord, help us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Help us to be sober about what we do. And God, for those who are here today and they don't know Christ as their Savior, Lord, today, right now, Spirit of God, would you work in their hearts? Draw them to Jesus who is altogether lovely who gave himself for them that he might redeem them from every sin, not just half of them, but all. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, is there anyone this morning, you just, I'm asking you just to slip up your hand, say, Papa John, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. I don't know for sure that Jesus is my savior. Is there anyone like that this morning? You say, I'd like you to pray for me. Would you put your hand up? Just put your hand up. Just so I can see it. No can shame. I don't know for sure that I know Jesus. Yes, sister, I see that. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? No can shame. There's another. Yes, sir, I see it. Yes. Thank you. This morning, as we dismiss, can I ask those of you that raise your hand, if you want someone to talk to you about it, we want to we help. If you just come down here toward the side where brother eric sits on the left hand side and somebody yes brother i see your hand thank you someone will someone will take the scriptures and show you and help you to find peace and comfort from god not from anything else in this world this morning if god's worked in your heart and you're like well i don't know if i'm ready for jesus to come i know jesus is my savior i encourage you right now as i pray a closing prayer that you get it right with God. And then you take your time today and maybe speak to a brother or sister and say, hey, I have, just haven't been ready living for Christ and God, I really want to. So I'm gonna pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, there are some here with big burdens and I see in their eyes this morning that though they have their faith in Christ already, they're, they're not ready for your coming. And Lord, I pray that I haven't said anything that gets to them. I pray that your word has spoken. I pray that your spirit is working in their hearts. God, help your, your believers to want to walk with Jesus in a holy and pure way. And then, Father, I pray for those who raised their hand this morning and maybe some who didn't, they don't know Christ, God, that they take the time this morning, we've all got, we've got time, we'll make time, Lord, for someone to show them through the scriptures how they can know that they can be right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Lord, as we go to our life groups this morning, I pray you bless every class. And I pray, God, that people that have questions, that we'd be able to find the answers and work through the scriptures so that we could know things better. And so, Lord, I thank you for this time together. Would you bless? Would you work in all our hearts? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.